Welcome to the Known Experience. Uh, so glad you're with us today. I got my co-host Sean Scott coming in a little under the weather from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, Matthew Barry, fantasy sports guru coming from Stanford, Connecticut. Is that right? Uh, no, I'm, I work out of Stanford, Connecticut, but I'm actually uh, doing this from my home office in beautiful Cheshire, Connecticut, which is where I live. Lovely Cheshire, Connecticut. Yeah. Well, before we get into the conversation, for those of you who don't know who Matthew is, uh, I'll just go through all the accolades. Matthew, you just take it humbly like you always do, okay? Uh, <laughs> Matthew is has been live on air talent with ESPN and NBC, two of the sports leaders. Uh, he has a New York Times bestseller. He's, he's a phenomenal writer. Highly encourage you to pick it up. Fantasy life. It's whether you love fantasy sports or not. It's entertaining and it's uh, touching. It's a great book. He's been in Avengers Endgame with Robert Downey Jr., Robert Redford, Chris Hemsworth. He gets texted by Chris Pratt and Jay-Z on what fantasy sports picks to make. He's been on Jimmy Fallon. He last week played football with Brady and Gronk on the beach, caught a touchdown pass, which I saw. You put some moves on Gronk. It's pretty impressive. Uh, most famously, though, he went to high school with me, AM Consolidated. In fairness, I like to think you went to high school with me, but yeah, fair enough. We, we <laughs> yeah. did, you and I did attend the same high school at the same time. That's correct. And you were on my yeah. show. So we'll, I mean, we fair. can talk success. All right. You know what? Absolutely. That's right, John. That's, that's how you do it. That's good. That's right. That's how you should sell it. hundred percent. Good for you. Yeah, that's right. You're damn right. Take control. Good. So this, uh, this, this pot is not really going to be about fantasy sports. It's going to be, uh, just about life and our lives and, um, but there's one story before we jump into that that is about fantasy uh, world. And, and we Matthews. should say, though, John, John, we should say, though, in all seriousness, I think you're underselling one, one aspect, though, which I think is important here. No, in all seriousness. No, yes, we went to high school together, but people don't understand what that means, right? Because we could have gone to a high school that had 2,000 kids in it. And you know what I mean? And, like, you know, just because you say, oh, you went to the same high school with somebody, I could have been a senior when you were a freshman or vice versa, sure. everything like that. I just don't know. So John and I, John was a year younger than me, I believe, right? When I was a senior, you were a junior. We were the same no. year. I can't we were the same year. We were the same. Hey, we were right, actually, John. we both moved to College Station at the age of 12. Both of our fathers were professors at A&M. Yes, uh, and we, yes. we were both popular adjacent, if you yes. will. Uh. Yes, that's right. Both of us, both of us had a lot of friends that were legitimately popular. Yeah. And um, but no actual popularity on our yeah. own. Popular adjacent is a great way to phrase it, John. But yeah, John was, and I were yeah. John, John and I were friends uh and we knew each other. I wouldn't say we were particularly close in high school, but we were no. we were we were certainly friendly, you know what I mean? Like we didn't uh we didn't have any beef as the kids say, uh, we would say hi to each other. And again, we had a lot of friends in common. So there were often, you know, maybe not often, but there were definitely times where we, where we socialized or we were in the same place at the same time. But then since that time, there is a group of us that have gotten together at various reunions and everything like that and have become close. So there's a group and, and John and I are on a text thread with, I don't know, five other people, maybe it's on that text yeah. thread. So of all yeah. of us high school. So John and I have, have become closer friends since we graduated together. But, you know, I don't think it's fair just to say, oh, yeah, we went to the same high school. You know, I, I think people want that context. They want to yeah, understand. Yeah, no, that's they, want, they, they, want, they want to know why on earth is Matthew Berry doing this show I've never heard of 
Wait, and, wait. And that's and that's the reason why is is John <laughs> called in his hey I've known you for thirty plus years favor and that's fine. It is what it is. So here you I am. You don't think Great. people are listening to this? Going, John yeah. is finally helping Matthew out. You don't think mm. that's the... Uh, so here, sure. here is some other juxtapositions of us in high school. Our high school was about 250 people in our graduating class. I was ranked about 245th. Matthew, I'm guessing, was probably in the top 20 there. Oh, no, 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 no. I was, no. I was, a, I was, I was a solid like B student. Like I was smart enough. Like I was lazy. To be honest with you, like I never liked homework. I never liked applying myself. I was smart enough to get away with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, but no, I mean, like, was I like our, our, our mutual friend, Olivia Kelly, like, was I brainy like her? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, you know, there, yeah. no, there were legit smart people and I was not one of them. I, I, I'm pretty smart, I think, but I definitely did not have great grades. I just, I was smart enough to get to do the bare minimum and get like a B and sort yeah, of just, you know, get out unscathed. You were, you were much, it sounds like much like myself and a trove of teachers and my parents crazy because I was like the untapped potential guy, right? Sean, mm -hmm. we know you can do better than an 88. You always get the 88. We, you know, yeah. where's the, where's the other two? <laughs> What's weird is, is that Sean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the untapped potential guy. I was the, I was for lack of a better way to describe it. I was the ADD guy. Cause I uh -huh. did, when I was in high school, I, I actually achieved uh, quite a bit. It's been all downhill since, but I, uh, you know, in, in high school, I was, um, I was the, I was the star of the tennis team. I was the number one ranked player on the, on the high school tennis team, all four years that I was in high school. And we, we went to the state finals my junior year and, and I, you know, I, I won district every year and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, I, uh, you know, I was doing, uh, doing a lot of stuff with, uh, the, the drama club. And so, you know, we did a bunch of plays and competitions, that sort of thing. And my senior year of high school, believe it or not, it was actually a rock and roll DJ. I was Matthew rock and roll Barry, uh, at, uh, 1240 KTAM classic rock college stations, Brian college stations, classic rock. So from seven to midnight, Monday through Friday, seven to midnight, I was like the nighttime DJ on this classic rock station in our hometown, but the town where John and I lived. And again, you have to remember John and I graduated high school in 1988. So uh, this is, you know, pre pre internet, pre pre iPods or having music on your phone or, you know, music on demand or podcasts or anything like that. None of that existed. So AM radio was actually not as an antiquated as it might seem now. And we were a small town, like, you know, Brian College Station, the, the the area that we grew up in, probably 150,000 people lived in that area, would be my guess, at the time that we grew up. And so there was whatever, a handful of radio stations. It was a rated market, which means like, you know, Arbitron, uh, which is similar to Nielsen, would like literally do ratings and, and uh, uh, for the radio stations. And so it was a real radio market, not a huge one, but a real one. And I got a job my high school job throughout high school when I was, you know, started as a part-time when I was 14 and worked my way up was working at this radio station at first answering phones and going to remotes and doing various things. And then ultimately like doing weekend shifts, doing late night weekend shifts, doing then Saturday during the day. And eventually for my senior year in high school, I got the Monday through Friday, seven to midnight show. I would go to high school during the day. I would, I would go to tennis practice after, after school, I'd go home, do my homework or not candidly, and then go into the station from like six to midnight. I had to do commercials from six to seven. And then from seven to midnight, I did my show Monday through Friday. And so 
Wow. I think my, my, uh, so number one is like, you know, I've just been, I've been in front of a microphone almost my entire life, you know, the majority of my life, but more importantly, uh, you know, I think I got a, a bit of a pass on my grades of quote unquote, not applying myself because I was, I was quote unquote achieving in other areas. Like I, I showed some potential. I was yeah. just all over the place doing a bunch of different stuff. That's accurate though. I mean, yeah, if you, yeah, you were just sitting on the couch, <laughs> you know, he oh, was no, not, no, no. not playing the Atari 2600 nearly as much as I was, but I do remember calling into your show. I was one of the few kids that thought it was cool that you were a DJ on an AM classic rock radio station, stereo AM, by the way. And uh, I remember calling in and requesting stuff. And I also remember you teaching me a little DJ secret that when the DJ plays Stairway to Heaven, it's probably because he had to take a dump because it's I, like an eight minute song. Yeah, that was always important was trying to figure out like songs, right? Exactly. You know, there was a couple of there were when, when I had to go to the bathroom, like with Stairway to Heaven, uh, uh, let's see, um, uh, Freebird, maybe Freebird. I was gonna say yeah. Leonard Skinner's Freebird was a really yeah. good one again. This is classic rock of you know the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, and 80s back then. So, Freebird was always a really good one as well. American Pie, American mm -hmm. Pie was eight minutes 13 seconds. If you played the long version of American Pie, so yeah, it was always important to like find a uh, find a song like that, you know, uh, if you needed to, uh, you know, do something outside of the DJ booth. Well, th this leads me to. Who are the other kids? Let's let you know what John. Let's do this. So you say you were one of the few people that thought it was cool that yeah. I was a DJ in high school, and so I think what we should do now <laughs> is spend the rest of the episode going through which kids you thought that which kids in high school legitimately thought it was cool, and which ones were talking shit behind my back about me being a DJ, and let's let's settle some scores from uh, yeah. over three decades ago. Let's do this, and let's, let's go through. I want names. I yeah. want names and like, let's call them out. And I'm going to look them up on Facebook and decide whether I'm friends with them or not. We'll make fun of them. Maybe they have ugly kids now. I just, let's, let's go through, let's make this happen. That That's going to be part two. If that, if that could be part two, we'll go through Mark uh, Parrish fine. and all. I guarantee you yeah. Mark Parrish was a fan. I, I like Mark Parrish. I do yeah. like Mark Parrish. Yeah. Let me, yes. let me ask you this question. Yes, uh, this, is, this is kind of funny. Whenever you first were on TV on ESPN, I remember being at home and, uh, telling my mom and uh and i think i remember taking you to youth group with me once when i was when we were in like junior high uh yeah and and my mom i told my mom you're on tv and she goes that nerdy jewish kid with the glasses and the fro and uh it hard for people who see you now to believe that you had a big fro when you were playing tennis right. you were like <laughs> yes. kind of the john McEnroe. i did yeah but um, yeah, life is yeah, thanks for thanks mom it was a little yeah. harsh from your mom by the way oh, i mean all you should all fair but you should hear the things she says about me right uh, what was it like you know being a, a kid in a small texas town uh you know a, a jewish kid who came from mostly the east coast right uh what was that like i mean your your background your family your heritage was radically different than everybody else around you yeah, it was weird, honestly, John, and took some adjustment, and I appreciate it. I mean, and I, and I sort of became like a, um, uh, weirdly, I sort of, through high school, I kind of became kind of a de facto Methodist, right? I mean, because honestly, all my friends, and I do remember going to um, uh, going to that, uh, I thought it was more than one, honestly, that you that mm -hmm. you you took me to, and like, you know, there was a group of friends, like, do you remember David Runnels? 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, um, and so him and like Sean Lofgren, if you remember those guys and like, you know, they were very involved as well. So I, I went to a lot of those like Methodist youth, whatever they were called, like, you know, like sleepovers or like parties yeah. or that kind of stuff. And so I did a lot of that stuff because it was, it was weird. I'll never forget this. I remember I had been, maybe I was there a week. I'd moved in and you and I'd moved in around the same time. Right. So I met, I'm there and I am, I'm sitting at the lunch table and this is, this is seventh grade. And so I'm sitting there at the lunch table with a group of people and somehow, I don't know how it comes up, but religion comes up. I think maybe it was, uh, I'm trying to think of like, maybe it was Easter or something like nah, Christmas. I don't know. There was a, a big holiday was coming up and maybe it was Christmas. And somebody said something to me like, Oh, you know, you know, Matthew, what do you do? Do you celebrate Christmas? You know, what are you, what are your family's plans for Christmas? Something, you know, generic like that. I said, well, we, we don't celebrate Christmas. I'm Jewish. You know, we, we celebrate Hanukkah. And this girl looks at me. She's just looking at me, like, curiously. And, you know, she's just, like, staring at me. And I'm looking at her. And I go, I go, what? And she goes, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to see your horns. And I'm like, what? And she doesn't, she's not saying it. This is the most important part. She's not saying it in a mean way. She's not saying it in an insulting way. She's not saying it in a, she's not saying it in a, in a um, derogatory way. She's genuinely curious where my horns are. She's, you know, wide eyed and smiling and like, and I go horns. And she goes, yeah, my, my daddy told me all Jewish people have horns and I've never met one before. And so it was, and I'm just like, well, I guess they only come out on special occasions. Like I made some joke and other people yeah. like staring at her, but like, like, I was just like, that. it was that moment where I was just like, oh, 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 I'm <laughs> I'm in Texas now. Holy crap. Like, I'm, uh, you didn't, wow. And you like, didn't, there were did, like you, uh, did you pull your shofar out of your backpack at that point? I did not pull my shofar. I did not put my yarmulke on my hat, uh, head. But it was weird. And it definitely, like, so it was definitely tough. I definitely had an adjustment, uh, you know what I mean, like, not to unpack my entire high school career, but it was definitely like, it was definitely weird. I, I, I don't know that religion played the entire part of it, but I think, listen, I think I was a sensitive kid, you know? So I was a sensitive Jewish kid in South Central Tech growing up in Texas, whether, whether I'm a sensitive kid because I'm just a sensitive kid or because I was Jewish. But my point is, is that there were very few Jewish kids in the high school uh, that we went to. Like there was not a temple in town. The Texas A&M University, where the where where we grew up is located, had a B'nai B'rith chapter that was sort of used as kind of the temple, but we didn't have a proper temple. Um, I literally think the only the only Jewish kid in our high school besides me was Ben Basicus. Remember Ben? Yeah. Um, and like, so it was just like, it was just you know, it was definitely weird. I definitely felt like an outsider. So you know, I'm coming in, uh, and to your your mom's, you know. I, I would have preferred maybe a slightly different uh, description, but your mom's description was accurate. Is I had this big frizzy hair and I had big thick glasses. I, I wear contacts now, but I have terrible eyesight. So, I, you know, back then I had, had these big thick glasses, you know, frizzy hair. I'm like this nerdy, sensitive kid. I'm Jewish and I'm coming into uh, a high school in Texas where, you know, literally kids, you know, I remember being in high school and kids, you know, chew tobacco, like, and not like illegally. 
not like hiding it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, and, and so it just, you know, it was a, I felt like an outsider throughout high school. And I think the fact that I was a different religion than, you know, 99.9% of the people in high school was one of the factors. I don't think it was the only factor, but I think it was one of the factors that I just, I felt like an outsider. It took me a while to sort of find myself in high school and I found like a good group of friends. And that was about it, you know, and I just sort of kind of, but I definitely, and I've, I've written about this before. I've, you know, there was definitely times in high school where I felt bullied. Uh, I had some really tough uh, years there as well. And it was, uh, it was definitely an adjustment. It was definitely an adjustment. And I think, John, if, um, if I'm being really honest here, as we, as we get into this, if I'm being really honest here, I think one of the reasons why, uh, if, I, if I really am honest about my own psychology, is that one of the reasons why, like I've attended every single reunion we've had. Yeah. I've gone back. And not everyone has, you know, I mean, there's definitely, there's some people that do, and then there's some people that don't, and then there's some that have popped in here and there, but you know, we've, it's been over 30 years, right? So we've had a number of, uh, of reunions over the years. And I do that. I think one of the reasons why, uh, I've so enjoyed like the little text thread that you and I are on and, and that little friendship group that's, that's joined. And also why I, um, uh, you know, why I've gone to every single reunion is because I feel that there's a part of me that a feels like my high school experience was cheated a little bit that because it, it was, um, because I was viewed in this certain light because I was socially awkward because I was insecure. Uh, you know, and there were definitely kids that didn't make my life uh, easy in high school that definitely, you know, went out of their way to make me feel unwelcome, uh, and that were cruel to me. So I think it's I think it's partially that that I feel like I'm trying to regain some of that. And Sean, I'll just tell you this: like, if there's ever a time to go to your high school reunion, it's it's after you've been on national television. Like, that's a good gig. <laughs> that's a you know, like walking into your high school reunion after you've yeah. been on you know national TV for a decade, and um, yeah. and yeah, then, you know they you... ask you for your they ask you for your picture for the program or yeah. whatever, and and you can send in a picture of you holding an Emmy award. You know that's. That's uh, that's that was pretty cool. You got to tell you got to tell the story. Is this where you're okay. going? Are you going to the reunion store where you thought I'm finally going to be the big man yes, on campus? That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us about that. So this is a story I've never told publicly. John, you and I were talking before the show about what's a show that what's the story I've never told publicly. Here's a story I've never told publicly. <laughs> so I'm going back to my high school reunion. And I think before I tell you my high school reunion, what I should tell you is, is that one of the people that that John and I went to high school with is a woman named Joan Bush. And you know how John and I were talking uh, before about how we were popular adjacent. Joan Bush was popular. Joan Bush was popular. Um, and uh, a really sweet girl, really sweet girl. Like I wouldn't say we were friends, but you know, hi Joan, hi Matthew, whatever. We say hi in the hallway. But when we were, when we were freshmen, you know, she dated, I don't know if it was the captain of the football team, but she dated whoever the most popular and good looking you know, high school senior that was there, you know, they were, uh, they were dated. And I remember being a junior in high school and uh, walking out of the walking out of high school one day towards our parking lot uh, with her. We were just walking out at the same time. And we were chit-chatting about whatever. And all of a sudden like this, you know, souped up sweet Camaro pulls up like this, you know, again, it's whatever it's 1988. Right. And uh, this really sweet Camaro um, pulls up and she's like, all right, that's my ride. That's my boyfriend or whatever. And, you know, she gets in and it's like, she was dating like some college guy, right. You know, as a, as a high school junior. So 
Joan was always, you know, always really popular. And um, so it's fine, right? Okay, so so now, flash forward, it's our 10-year reunion. And I come in, at this point, I've been on ESPN. I've been on ESPN for about, I don't know, four or five years at this point. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've, I've been on TV. I've been on, I've been on national TV. I've been on some of the ESPN's biggest programs, like Sunday NFL Countdown, Monday Night Football, uh, the pregame show there. I've won a sports Emmy for fantasy football now, my Sunday morning show. You know, it's pretty good, right? And so I walk in, I finally like, you know what? I'm going to go. All these kids that, you know, some of these kids that made fun of me in high school or whatever, like I'm, I'm walking in, it's pretty cool. And literally like, so I walk in and it's awesome, right? And so uh, people are like, people that ignored me in high school are coming up to me. They're, they're kissing my butt a little bit. There's a slideshow of everyone's sort of photos of kind of them at their job or what they're doing now. And mine comes up and I'm, I'm holding the Emmy Award. And I literally get a round of applause, this huge round of applause from all of my high school, uh, you know, uh, classmates. It's awesome, right? Then Joan Bush walks in and uh, we're, you know, we're saying hi and she comes over to the group that we're at and we're all sort of saying hi. And so um, then Joan goes, oh, like, I want you to, Matthew, meet my, this is my husband, John. And I'm like, he's like, and he holds up his hand. He says, hey, nice to meet you, John Rich. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I know who you are, dude. So it's, it's John Rich of Big and Rich, which is, you know, the, the, the country <laughs> music. A uh, big and rich, like you know, and especially by the way, in in 1998, they're huge, yeah, huge. Save you know, a horse, like, save a horse, ride a cowboy, right? Go. They're they're huge, and I just I literally start laughing because it's like, of course, Joan Bush is married to like a, a country music superstar, you know, or a rock star. If she'd walked in with a president, it wouldn't have been surprised me. Anyway, so now I'm like, oh great. So like, I, I, I was there was a moment there where I was the most famous guy in the room, right? And I was excited. And now all of a sudden, here's John Rich yeah. showing up with Joan and like, everyone, you know, and again, right, you know, rich and big and rich. And uh, anyway, and so there went that. What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you, you, your your perspective on that stage of life is probably better than mine. I, I've, I've done the exact opposite. You know, I, I have not been to one of my reunions, not because um, my experience was particularly awful. Uh, I was also adjacent <laughs> to a lot of the guys, but it was more, you know, in retrospect, it's like almost being ashamed of who you were, right. And how you didn't speak up and stand your ground. And I'm like, that is not who I am. Right. That That's, that's not who I've been for a long time. And um, like, I don't recognize who I was and I actually don't want to, uh, I don't know how it would go off if I saw, saw those guys again, you know, like I, I, I have some, you know, my, uh, my wife is like, yeah, that'd be a pretty uncomfortable reunion if you were, if you were there because you tend to tell people what you're thinking, and yeah. uh, and and uh, so it's it's just interesting to hear you say you've gone back and gone back, um, but I have I have not I have not reconciled that that part of my past. I don't think. Well, I mean, I think you and I are built differently, and we probably had different experiences. For me, it's entirely petty, and it's it's three things. <laughs> it's three things, and I'm, I mean, it's petty and ego driven. Right. And third and and third enjoyment, because I legitimately, whether it's mm -hmm. whether it's John or Chris or or Monica or Jimmy and Jane or like there's a you know, there's a handful of people that I genuinely enjoy yeah. seeing and spending time with. And it's an excuse because I live I live now in Connecticut and, and, you know, I went to high school in Texas, as we talked about. And so most of the people from my life from that live in Texas, they live in College Station or Dallas or Austin 
or Houston. And so I just don't get a chance to see them very often. And so, you know, and there, there are people that, you know, I don't know if they live, you know, if I would be, you know, hardcore friends with them, but there are people that I'm sure there are people in your life and your life, John, as well, where you're like, um, you know, that you're not the best of friends with them, but you're like, I genuinely like that person. And it's good to see that person. I don't need to see that person every week, but it's nice to every year, every couple of years. Hey, how are you? How's the wife or husband? How are the kids? How's your job? Oh, I'm good. I'm glad to know you're doing well, that you're, you know, I have positive feelings towards you and that kind of stuff. But, you know, yeah, the petty and ego stuff is, you know, like, like whatever I've, I've spent 15 years on national television. I've written a New York times bestseller. I've, I've been in the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. I've been on the tonight show. I've been on the Howard Stern show. I've been on 60 minutes. Like, I mean, you know, it's like, like, yeah. Like if, if you've accomplished that kind of stuff, if your life has been lucky enough to, uh, to have had that kind of a journey and I'm, you know, I'm incredibly blessed. Yeah. You know, part of the, part of the point of, of having a career like that is to go back to high school and rub it in all the assholes' faces that, you know, that made fun of you, you know, and like, all the all the girls that turned you down in high school, you know, just sort of like, ah, what could have been, you know, like hundred percent, you know, you just like, channel your you 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 channel thousand percent. It's in, entirely in, petty and ego driven. Interior Nick Curios, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Listen, I mean, like, and there there were there were there were absolutely women at our high school reunion over the years. The diff- there have been different women that have come up and said, oh, you know, remember we went on that one date, and I'm like, oh, you know, that have literally sort of like thrown out that like you know, I made a mistake and, you know, oh. tried to sort of open that door and done that. And like, you know, that kind of stuff. I just like, I, I just had. like laugh and my, you know, and my wife will see them, you know, when they, anyway, it's just, my wife will laugh at it anyway. So I, I've had none of those, but I'm waiting for Joan to come to the 35th reunion with like Tom Brady or somebody. Right. So that oh, you can again, percent. let me say this about Matthew, uh, is that, um, you know, I, I've, I've worked with some people that are, I'd say, moderately successful and busy and have a lot going on and have families and uh they're not always easy to get a hold of and like you said we weren't buddies in high school we did stuff together we were uh in the same popular adjacent community where the we you know we were we were friend adjacent yeah that's exactly (laughs) right people outside probably thought we were friends and we knew we weren't so yeah but what i wanted to say about you today is this is that um you know, we all know people that are successful that are, um, we were closer to at one point and now we can't get a hold of them. We can't get past the gatekeepers. We can't get them to respond. And you and I weren't super close, but you know, there's not been a time that I didn't reach out to you, uh, whether just to say, hi, I'm in New York or whatever that you didn't respond. I remember your first night on NBC, I just texted you a congrats, right? Uh, no big deal. And like an hour later, you texted me and you're like, Hey, sorry, I'm kind of busy tonight, but I just want to say thanks for your, thanks for your message. And I'm like, who are you? Like, who does that? So, um, I mean, why, um, you, you've shed a little light on it, but why is that important to you to, to just, uh, you know, you let people know that they're seen, whether they have anything to offer you or not. And why is that important to you? I think it's two reasons why, and I appreciate you saying all that. You're very kind. Um, number one is, is that I think it's important just in general to try to be, uh, be present. Right. And, um, I'll tell a, 
I'll tell a story in a second about just, you know, so there's two, two answers to that question, right? Um, uh, number one is, uh, I'll say specific to you, here's what I'll say, is that I try to be responsive. There's, oh God, it's a complicated answer. Here's what I would say. Number one is, is that if I don't respond quickly, I'll never respond. Like it just gets, it just gets piled up. So I just, I've learned that lesson that like, if I'm like, oh, I want to, there've been times that people have texted me stuff. And I think to myself, I want to respond to that really, really thoughtful. So I'm not going to respond to it. Mm. And then a month goes by and I'm like, fuck, I never, like, I, you know, I forgot to, you know, I genuinely want to, but it's just like, so if I don't try to, if I don't respond quickly, then I just know it gets lost in the pile of, of texts and emails and DMs and email, you know, and just, you know, demands on my time. So number one, it's just that. Uh, number two is, is that specific to you, I know because I've known you for so long that I know when you're reaching out, that you are reaching out in a genuine way, that you're just, you're happy for me as your friend that you've known for a long time and that there's no agenda on your side because I, you know, when you, you, when you get to a level of, for lack of a better phrase, prominence, right? People people see me on TV and they assume a bunch of different things. They term, they, they assume like that I have access to that. I have, you know, that I, that they think I have a certain level of, of wealth that they, that I have a certain level of access that I have a certain level of, of, you know, ability to, to reach other people. But the point is, is that, you know, I get hit up for a lot of like, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you, you know? And so, and I know, cause I've known you forever. Uh, I know that when you text me like that, that's a, you're coming at me from a very genuine, just happy for me place. There's no agenda there. The other thing is the other story I'll tell, which I think I've told this story a little bit before, but I think it's a great story. And I think you'll enjoy it, John, specifically because uh, you know, two of the people involved in it. My very first job out of, out of college was I worked as a production assistant for the George Carlin show, which was a sitcom that ran on Fox. And in essence, I was the stage PA production assistant is PA stands for. And what that meant is like, I answered the phones, I got lunch for the cast. I did a bunch of different, you know, I basically it took messages for them. Was, again, this is 1993. Uh, so it's pre, uh, you know, pre cell phones or not really, not everyone really had cell phones. They weren't as prevalent as, as they are today. And anyway, so I just, I, I was a grunt, you know, I was a, a gopher. Uh, and because it was the George Carlin show, most of my time was spent doing stuff for George Carlin. And, you know, my boss has literally told me like, listen, help out the cast when you can, but it's really, it's the George Carlin show starring George Carlin. Like whatever George needs, George gets. Worry about George. And when George is taken care of, then you can help whoever else needs it. But it's all about George. Got it. So in essence, I was George Carlin's assistant for a year as my first job out of college. You know, legendary comedian, awesome human being. Loved working for him. Loved, loved that man uh, would do that job again today. So, uh, but you know, it's my first year in Hollywood and speaking of, you know, and I'm consolidated. So Sean Lofgren, who was one of my best friends in high school, he was coming out with his then girlfriend, now his wife, Cindy. And, uh, they were coming out to visit me. They were going to come out to LA for a week and they were going to visit me for a couple of days. And so it was great. This is the first time somebody from my past was going to come see me in Hollywood. And I kind of, you know, I wanted to show off a little bit. So I, I said to George, we were, we were doing an episode of the show and they were going to come to a taping of the show. 
So I go to George and I said, hey, George, I know there's usually a couple of errands that you need me to run after the show, uh, but I have some friends in town that are coming to the show tonight. And after the show, I kind of wanted to show them around the stage and, and uh, uh, you know, give them a tour. Would you mind? Would it be okay? Whatever you need me to do after the show, could you tell me now? And could I just take care of them for you now before the show? He goes, yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. I just need you to do this and that, grab my laundry, whatever it was. He had three or four things. I said, great, totally happy to do it. Thanks, George. Thank you so much. Have a great show. Break a leg. Okay, so after the show, now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bringing them down and I'm showing them around. This is where the camera operators are. This is where the grip sits. This is what a grip does, blah, blah, blah. I'm you know, trying to show off, right? And so all of a sudden, George Carlin walks up. And I don't know if younger people appreciate how big a star George Carlin was. One of the, one of the greatest comedians of all time ever, just a legendary guy. And, you know, they'd just seen a half hour show where, you know, he's the stars. George Carlin walks up and he goes, Matthew, are these your friends? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Sean and Cindy, George Carlin, George, Sean and Cindy. And George Carlin right then and there gives the big sell. I have to tell you, Matthew is going to be a big star in this town. He's a key cog of what we do. I consult with him every single day. We could not do the show with Matthew. He's so important to everything we're doing here. You know, uh, we could, again, I get lunch. I answer the phone. I pick up laundry. I am the lowest of the low. And to hear George talk about it, this show would fall apart if I didn't exist. How important I was specifically to the show and to him personally. And he's like, he's like, look, I, hey, I, I, he had two copies of the script from that show that night. He goes, here, and he's autographed them. He goes, here, I, I got you some copies of the script. And come on, let's take a picture, you know. And how did you guys meet? And what are you going to do when you're in LA? And he spends like a good five minutes with us or whatever. And he's like, he's all engaged in Sean and Cindy. And, you know, anyway, he's like, all right, well, great. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming to the show. I really appreciate it, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And Matthew, I'll see you tomorrow. Walks off. And, you know, so Sean and Cindy are floating on air. Yeah. Next day, I go to George and I say, George, oh my God, that was amazing last night. Thank you so much. You didn't have to do that. But man, oh man, that was incredible. Thank you so much. He says to me, he goes, he goes, listen, you're a good kid. You work your ass off. I'm happy to do it. He goes, but more importantly, he goes, anyone else that ever comes by, I want you to bring them to me. Anyone else that wants to meet me that needs a picture, that needs an autograph, whatever, I want you to bring them to me. He goes, because here's the thing, your friends, your Sean and Cindy, for the rest of their lives, the next time my name comes up in a conversation, they'll be like, I met Carlin once. He's a pretty nice guy. As opposed to, yeah, you know what? I ran into Carlin. He wouldn't even take a picture with me, that asshole. He goes, 30 seconds of my life for a lifetime fan, I'll make that trade every single day. I love it. And as I thought about it, and I remembered like, oh, wow, that's right. Because I hadn't really noticed it or thought about it because I was just sort of like just do my job. But in the month that I'd been there, like every single day, one of my duties for Carlin was he would hand me a stack of like signed autographs or, or memorabilia or pictures that he'd signed, you know, comedy albums that he'd signed that I would have to deliver, that I would either have to mail or I would have to, you know, take around the, the Warner Brothers lot. You know, and I remember, and as I started thinking about it, he would leave the show and I would see people come up to him and he'd always stop and take pictures with people. And, um, and it just sort of, you know, hit me. And not that I'm anywhere, you know, I'm not in the same universe, you know, let alone the same zip code. I'm not in the same universe as George Carlin. 
But, you know, I am well known to a very specific group of people. And, um, and so to that extent, John, and it, you're different, obviously, because you and I know each other and we're friends and we have a personal relationship. But just my point is, is that when somebody reaches out, it doesn't always work out because if I'm with my kids or I'm late or whatever, but, you know, 99 times out of 100, if somebody reaches out, I try very hard to engage with them as best as I can whether it's an email or a text or a you know person person to person because of that experience that I had with George Carlin. Again, I'm not saying I'm George Carlin, but to the extent that somebody is interested in my time or a photo with me or you know wants help with their fantasy team or a trash talk video for the league or whatever it is, I'm happy to do that. You are George Carlin to many people, you know, in their in I their very work. Kind. And that's but that's that's a perfect example though of how we are always kind of uh, not, we're always kind of mentoring the people around us by what we do, by how we treat people, by like, people are going to see it. And, and you felt it. And you're like, I want to make other people feel the way that I felt like you, you tend to do for others what you have done for you. And that's, that's a beautiful story. That's a great example of how that works. You, uh, you became a dad. You were on the, uh, the, quick uh on ramp for being a dad whenever <laughs> i was whenever you and beth uh decided to make things official and uh what what did you learn like going from uh you know a single guy to being a co-parent of three teen boys uh what did you learn about yourself in that in that short process you know it's interesting um my wife and i it's a second marriage for both my wife and uh, both of us married young, both of us got divorced. When I moved out to Connecticut to take the job at ESPN, two years after uh, having worked here, I met my now wife. We started dating. And uh, we had we'd been dating about seven or eight months when Beth said to me, she said, and, and you, you should know that like in my first marriage, my wife and I did not have kids. I just had a dog. Uh, but uh, that, that we had from from the marriage. But my my wife had three boys uh, who were uh, 10, 8, and 4 when we started dating. And uh, I didn't meet the kids. She didn't want to be one of those moms that constantly was introducing, you know, men to her, her, her kids. And so, uh, but we had been dating probably about six, seven months, maybe eight months, and getting pretty serious. And she says, and I, had, I still hadn't met the kids at that point by design. And uh, she said, listen, I, I, um, we're getting serious here. And I think, you know, it's time for you to meet the boys and, you know, see what, see what you think. She goes, but I don't want to introduce you to the boys and introduce you to their lives until I know where this is going. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want you to, I don't want to introduce them to some guy that's, you know, going to leave in a month or whatever. Right. You know? Um, and I said, I totally appreciate that. Uh, I think that's completely fair. You shouldn't, you should protect them. They're young boys. They're impressionable. Uh, I said, but I also want to be honest with you. I don't know. I said, I, I, I really enjoy spending time with you. I love our time together, but our time together is very different than, hey, you know, whatever. Connor's late to lacrosse practice and Matt forgot a shoe and, you know, and, and David needs a doctor's appointment. You know, I got to drop David off at his doctor's appointment and blah, blah, blah. You know, like that just, you know, th that's a different experience and a different existence, you know, with three young boys. And I said, so I'm happy to meet them and try, but I want to be honest with you. I don't want to, I don't want to tell you a thousand percent I'm sticking around or that like I'm committing to you because I don't know what that life is like. 
And if that, if I hate that life, I'm going to leave, you know what I mean? Like, and so she broke up with me, which, you know, which I totally get. She's like, well, I can't, my kids are my first priority. I, ha I, ha I can't, if you can't commit to me, I can't risk that. And I'm like, I totally get it, but I don't want to commit. I don't want to lie to you and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I find out I hate the kids or the kids hate me, or I don't you know I'm 40 years old at this point and I've never had kids. And so I just don't know what that existence is like. And so we broke up and we broke up for about two months, but we would text and we would stay in touch and have a lunch here or there. And then eventually she just said, I really miss you and screw it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And I think we should get back together and you should meet the kids. And if you hate the kids or the kids hate you and it doesn't work, then at least we tried, but I just, I think it's dumb to not try. And I said, okay, I'm down for that as well. And I ended up, so I ended up meeting the kids and I love the kids. And that's what I found to answer, get back to answering your question, John. What I found was like, I really wasn't sure what kind of father I would be. I, would, I wasn't sure how I would react to it. And what I found is that I really, really enjoyed it. Like I'm, I'm off in my own head, as we can sort of see through this podcast. Like I, I think a lot, you know, I, my mind also races a million miles a minute. And when you're with kids, especially young kids, you can't, that can't happen because you've got to focus on them. They don't, they don't let you think about anything else. Like you've got to make sure that they're engaged and safe and, you know, not running into traffic or whatever, you know, like you've got to like, you got to be super engaged. And, and, and as a result, uh, you know, I, I found that I loved kids. And then, so my wife and I, you know, ever since we, we got, uh, we got married probably a year later uh, and then we immediately got pregnant. And, you know, so now I, I went from like zero to five kids within like 18 months, Wow! you know? Um, so my wife and I, and my wife and I, because we're older, um, I found this out. I did not know this, but you are, because my wife had been pregnant multiple times before um, and the twins run in my family. I have three sets of twins on my side of the family. Like, so we have twin girls. Um, and uh, so we were like, we were like, should we have kids ourselves? And we're like, well, at our age, who knows? And we're like, sort of like, well, you know what? Let's try. And we'll sort of leave it to God. And, if, you know, if, 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 if it happens, great. And if it doesn't, you know, we've got the boys and uh, like literally right out of the gate, uh, which I did not realize this, uh, maybe for people listening, by the way, is that people are like, oh, it's hard to get pregnant when you're older. Yes, it's hard to get pregnant when you're older if you've never had kids. But when you've been pregnant before, and obviously my wife had been pregnant multiple times before, when you've been when you've had a lot of kids or whatever, it's actually super easy to get pregnant when you're when you're older. You're actually very you're even more fertile at 41, I guess my wife was at the time we got married when I was 40. So uh when we were both 40, we're the same age. So uh yeah, for, we got pregnant at 41, you know. So it's you know, anyway, kind of an uh kind of insane. And so, yeah, I went from like, basically, you know, zero to five kids and, you know, under two years. So, uh, it's been a lot, but it's been great and it's fun. And I, that's what I discovered about myself is that I had a, a larger capacity to love a larger capacity to care about other people, a, um, uh, a desire to get outside of my own head and think about others. So to kind of tie this all in, right. I think when you, um, with, with kids, um, and even with Tom Brady or you kids do really ground you, 
Um, hopefully, right. If you're a loving father, I think some, some guys just maybe don't have that ability and they're so kind of involved in their vision in their life that they kind of neglect, uh, what it, the treasures of being a father are right. Um, and there's a lot of men that have fathers that weren't dialed into their life, but I, I don't know of one thing in my life. So I'm, I'm, I've worked for myself for many years. Um, I'm in the middle of a business acquisition right now. It's, you know, life when, when you're creative and you're writing your own checks and uh, you can get caught up in um, securing your future, right? There's always something to do. And I have two children, 12 and nine, and nothing in my life um, has given me the ability in the moment, right? And it's something I can even choose now. Okay, I'm going to go every day. We play football and basketball when he comes, you know, when I pick kids up from school. And it's one of those decisions, right? Like this hour after school, um, and it's really pivotal, right? And looking at some some people in the sports world, you can kind of tell the guys that do that, right? They they tend to just be different and consistent in who they are. And I don't know. And maybe maybe you can attest to that. But I mean, is is that what kids have done for you too? They just, I mean, it sounds like they have, and what you shared, but. Um, yeah, no, hundred percent, a thousand percent. You know, you just sort of, you realize that uh, it's not about you, you know, they, they do, they ground you. And, and, you know, and when they have, when they have drama at school or whatever, or a kid's mean to them, or they, you know, they lose a game, you know, a little league game or whatever it is, it just kills you. Right. Cause you're just like, you yeah. want to, you want to protect them and you want to like, you know, and you gotta, you gotta kind of let them, find their own path. Right. But it's, you know, and there's nothing you can do, but other than just, you know, try to be supportive and root for them. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's changed my outlook on life a hundred percent. Well, that's one thing I enjoy about your Instagram is, and for those of you listening, it's at Matthew Berry TMR. Uh, you always include your kids in it. And, uh, well, I think my favorite was your daughter's roasting you. Yeah. Um, but uh, why do you do that? Like it, it uh, it's not just about your sports content. It's not just about selling your brand. Why, why do you include your family in that stuff? Hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'm particularly good at social media. I think I'm okay at it, but I don't, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing there. Um, I'm, it's, I'm lucky to have a lot of followers, which are nice, but I think the people that are fans of me are fans because they like my fantasy advice, but they like me. Like they're interested in my life. Like what I when I do my columns, I write about uh, I write about my life and my wife and my kids and experiences that I have. And so, uh, you know, when I do my podcast, we we have like it's not just fantasy football or not just sports betting. Like it's the majority of the content I do is often about me. And so I I try to share parts of my life. There was a time when. I didn't want to put my daughters or any of my kids on social media and I tried to hide their faces somewhat, but then, you know, they're so, you know, my kids are on social media, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they see stuff and they want to be on it. And so it's one of those things that I enjoy doing as well. And we try to take, pick our spots with them, but it's also, um, it's also something they enjoy as well. So I try to just sort of like, you know, I think social media, People use social media different ways, but for me, it's just a reflection of my life, hopefully, and things that I want to share, both professional, both professional and personal. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. Uh, it's been fun. It's been a lot of walks down memory lane, but it's also been great to even get to know you more. And uh, 
and your life, your fantasy life. I encourage everybody to pick up the book, hardcover. I got a signed, I ordered it off of Amazon. It was, do you sign every single one of your books? No, but there are a lot of signed copies of them out yeah. there. Yeah. I signed as many. I mean, if somebody gives me one, I sign it. Yeah. So they're like, it did well. It did, you know, it, it, uh, it, you know, debuted at number five on the New York Times bestseller list. It spent many months on the list. And so, uh, and, and the, uh, the paperback did well as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm really proud of that book. So not, it, took not me two bad. Years, it took two years of my life. Yeah. Not bad for an AM radio DJ. Not uh, bad. What else you got coming up that people need to know about? Well, if they're interested in fantasy sports, they should go to fantasylife.com and, and check out all the stuff we're doing there in terms of the newsletter, all the free tools. It's a free newsletter that comes every single day. But otherwise, just you know, follow me on social media. I am at Matthew Berry TMR on all forms of social media except the Fantasy Life app where I'm merely at Matthew Berry. But uh, uh, yeah, all good. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, be sure to pass on that message from Sean to Tom Brady and, and I will. Him if and you from you to Carissa. I got it. Understood. <laughs> and yeah. uh, for those of you that are still listening, hang around in just a few seconds. We're going to come back and do after the interview. Thanks again, Matthew. Great having you. Thanks, John. Sean, nice to meet you. Take care, man. Well, we're back with after the interview and uh, Sean was a little under the weather today, so he didn't jump in a whole lot there. But uh, yeah. Sean, this is I, you know, I talked a lot, so I'm going to I'm going to throw it to you here. What what were your impressions with uh, Mr. Barry, the talented Mr. Roto? You know, I, I, th I think his uh, just his story. Um, I don't I life can throw you some opportunities, right? But a guy like him, and, and a lot of people, we we may have talked about this, maybe personally or on a podcast, I don't remember which, but a lot of people assume success just, it's uh, luck of the draw, right? Like it just happens. And I think if you were listening to any part of his story, he created his luck, right? Yeah. Like it, it, he's just not where he's at. Sure, he had maybe a break and it was between him and someone else, but he worked hard. I mean, what, what high school kid goes to school, plays tennis and works five hours every night. I mean, that's, that's a rigorous schedule yeah. um, that I'm sure whoever in Hollywood, right. George, they looked at that and they're like, wow, this high school kid, he put in hours in, he can obviously get Carlin sandwiches and do his laundry. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that, that propels you all those things that we see that people don't want to waste their time on because they don't understand how critical they are in creating a foundation um of relationship right so not only does he work hard he's obviously values relationship um and what that brings to the table and and now he's where he's at right so um on top of understanding you know meeting a need in the space that he's in but that was a takeaway for me right it's he's, he's just not there on accident <laughs> yeah and we didn't get a lot into his story you and i know it just from research and from the book and all that um, but I, I think, you know, there's this kind of cliche of like, what do you do with your free time yeah. and whatever you do with your free time, find a way to make a living doing that. And, you know, when people succeed at that, they always say anybody can do anything they want to do and be anything they want to be. And there's, there's just, the reality is for every one of those, there's 99 that right. tried to make their hobby a career and it didn't work out. And that's the reality of it. Yeah. 
but I do think it's important that no matter was what he was doing in his career, he kept doing his hobbies. Right. So fantasy sports is a hobby he picked up in high school before anybody else knew what it was. Yeah, very few people did it back then. Yeah. Right. And he kept doing it and kept doing it and started a side project of a website while he was working as a writer in LA. And yeah, it did eventually become his career, but it's a lot of it's because he just, he invested a lot in his hobby. It, yeah, it, like, yeah. it wasn't like he just kind of like did it occasionally, right? Yeah. No, he was, yeah, if, if you do some research, he was pretty all in um, and kind of gave up the more obvious career path of being a writer you know he was a writer on married with children which back in the day then was huge yeah i mean that was not a small and uh had some other opportunities so um yeah i i i admire that right but um the one thing i do think of and and i'm glad that he has the relationship with his kids right a person like him that he said he what does he do for fun he works right to me, that's like, uh, so the, the challenge for him is how to turn it off. Right. And I, probably the only way to do that was kids, you know? Um, yeah. and I think, I think an easy part though, with the kids too, especially the boys is that, and I've seen this in his social medias, you know, is that it is, it is kind of fun for your kids when your work is that they get to come to the Super Bowl, or yeah, right, right, your right, work right. is they get to meet Makes Tom it a little easier. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit yeah mine was going to the nursing home on sunday to sing to the old people not as fun that was your dad taking you to work <laughs> oh yeah oh, all dressed wow. up you're tired after a spaghetti dinner on sunday and you got to go to the nursing home we all joke about that a lot but yeah uh, i mean sure it's good but not yeah not as sexy as going to throw football with some nfl guys on the sideline yeah yeah <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I just uh, appreciate Matthew's generosity. I love the George Carlin story. I love yeah. how, you know, that's happened to me in my life. I had a situation where I, I failed somebody that I was working for. And I came in to work later. And um, as soon as I walked in the door, he walked up, grabbed me by the shoulders and said, John, this does not define you. Do not let this be a burden right. on your back. Yeah. It's over, let it go. And then later I was talking to one of my coworkers and he said, you know, John, um, before you came back, he went around to each of us and said, whatever you do, do not joke with John about this. Don't say anything about it. Let it go. Hmm. So he not only wanted to affirm me in a moment of failure, he wanted to protect me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that has made me do that for other people because I experienced it myself. I know what it felt like and I want other people to have that same experience. So that's why I love the George Carlin story. And I'm sure it played it's played a big role in his generosity, you know, with yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, I was, <clears throat> he kind of answered that question. I was going to ask, you know, what was the most pivotal moment in his personal life? And I think that, was a blending of two, right? Um, it changed how he would work in the future, but it also showed the value of that the superstar understands, hey, these moments are important, right? Recognizing people, making them feel known, even if it's for five minutes, can literally uh, be one of their top five experiences of their whole life, 
and it costs you nothing, right? Really. And, uh, and, and that's a lesson for all of us, right? I yeah. think it's, it's not that most of us don't have time. We just, it's not a priority. Right. And I, I, my wife hates that, but you know, she's like, Oh, the person's probably busy. I'm like, no, it just wasn't a priority. And I just wish mm-hmm. people would say that. Right. <laughs> most of us have time to respond if he does. Right. We're not getting 300 texts a day, but, um, just how critical that is to building lives. If we want friendships, if we want to feel known, if we want, then, then that intentionality in those small, 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 small moments is what builds that. Right. So. And the uh, generosity, you know, that like, you know, I mean, this was after we were off the air, but Matthew said, you know, as soon as you post this, let me know so I can post it on my social media. He's the first one. (laughs) He's the first one of our guests. No disparity to any of our other guests, but no, 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 but but that's his first... that, that's his mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we're are we're probably out of the four podcasts that he's going to be recording today, we're probably the least of them <laughs> by far. Probably, probably. Well, you never know. But um, dude, I I have huge sway in the social medias. Yeah, I know. So the dozens of you that are listening know yeah. that Matthew. Uh, no, that 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 um, that says a lot. That he yeah, yeah. he offered it. He didn't wait for us to ask for it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, let's get just let's get personal for a moment, Sean. Is there anybody in your life that has set that example? Because, like you said, you know, other people are busy or they don't have time or they don't make the time for things. But a lot of times, again, that was never modeled for them, and so you know, uh, they're kind of doing default what their experience has been. Has there been somebody in your life that? that modeled something like that for you that's shaped the leader you are today, the dad, the, the boss that you are today. Um, somebody that stood out that, and it doesn't even have to be somebody you worked for. It could be somebody you read a book or article or something. And you're like, I want to be like that person. For me, it hasn't been a particular person I've heard. There's been a lot of great friends but I can't think of anyone in the moment that is like the one that changed it. But there's been a lot of negative moments that I think back on, you know, and I touched on it in the podcast, high school and those um, negative moments. It's like, I don't, I don't ever want to be that person or I don't want people to feel this way around me. Um, And so it's really turning that, that internal um, emotion into uh, future action. Right. And, whether it be it's with friends or community or, you know, college kids coming to me with stupid ideas about how they're going to create the best business there is. And they don't even know how to write, you know, or put together a proper PNL, right. It's, it's creating that space for them. Um, and that, so, which I'm sure a psychologist would, might have some <laughs> input on, right? Like why did, why did the negative moments shape you and, and why can't you remember the positive ones? That's a good question. And I, and I, I wish I could um, pinpoint more of those, but uh, I think for most of us, right. We, out of the, if we have nine compliments, we always remember the one negative mm-hmm. comment. Maybe I'm that guy. Maybe I struggle with that. Um, but I think that can be true for a lot of us, you know, yeah. but you know, what's, yeah, what's great is you're breaking that cycle and the people that you're working with, you're creating positive memories and yeah. positive moments. Yeah. Because I want to be that guy, right? That's just consistency. I mean, we've talked about this consistency and how people say, Hey, this is the way Sean is. I want it to be the same with you and the guy that I have coffee with twice a year. 
right? Like you both have a similar experience. Sure, our relationship's deeper, but how you show up for people can be consistent um, and just kind of your being present and then following through on the small thing that they may ask, right? Um, that that consistency is important and it's somewhat telling of of how much you believe, how, how much you believe yourself to go back to a, to mm-hmm. an earlier podcast, right? Like, do you do you believe yourself and how you care for people and love people and really have a broader vision? Um, and if you don't do those things, I think it chips away at that belief in yourself and the honesty that you're, you know, maybe your motivation is, you know, you're leveraging relationships, like Matt said, where people just want kind of business or they want something from you. And maybe you're that guy and you didn't realize that. And if you're not consistent, you might be that guy, but you can change that, right? I think it's, um, once you recognize that it's it's an easy thing to change because it doesn't require huge a huge change of personality it's just changing small decisions that that have those ripple effects so yeah yeah really changing your perspective from what can i take from this yeah. to what can i contribute to this right from what can i how can i serve you how can i and even people you know can often seem like inconveniences in our life people's needs, people's problems, failures, whatever. And you can shift that mindset from they're an inconvenience to they're an opportunity. You know, when somebody fails you, it is an opportunity to be kind and to show grace and to uh, really surprise them uh, with how you respond uh, rather than an opportunity to, to just air your frustration and be inconvenienced and move on to something else. Yeah. 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 Mm. Good stuff. Well, man, uh, thank you, Sean, for joining today. I know that you've been under the weather and a big, big thanks uh, and shout out to Matthew Berry for just being so kind and generous with his time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for taking the time to listen uh and uh again uh please like us follow us share us we hope this has been an encouragement to you and uh most of all as we always say uh we hope that you will continue to experience the power of being well